Wow, I like that lion at the end, right? How are you doing, community of faith? Did you have trouble getting here this morning? Because if you did, don't be surprised. If you're online and you're having all kinds of technical difficulties, don't be surprised. Because I think what I'm going to talk to you about today, if you're a believer, might be the most important thing that you've ever heard as a believer. And a lot of us uh, don't know this yet, but it's going to change us. It's going to make huge impact for us. It's going to flip upside down even maybe the way that you see the universe. You know, most historians, they have no clue about purpose in history. Now, they can systematize it. They can categorize it. They, they can put it into, uh, you know, this happened and then this happened, all the chronological order. They can look at some of the things, but it just looks like to most of them, one senseless crisis after another. Historian G.N. Clark, in his inaugural address at Cambridge, said this, there is no secret and no plan in history to be discovered. Andre Moros said this, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I am convinced no one has in recent times, this has kind of been popularized by uh, a French philosopher by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre, who taught that each of us exists kind of in a watertight compartment as an isolated individual in a meaningless universe, in a purposeless world. And it makes uh, no sense where we came from. There's no purpose for where we're going, and so the present really is all that matters. And our nation's children's over the, uh, children over the last several decades have been steeped in this philosophy, existentialism. And I think we can see the profound effect of that in our country today. This passage that we're going to look at in Daniel today powerfully refutes, rebuts this existential philosophy. Daniel is praying about something important for the Jewish people, but God reveals to him in Daniel chapter 9 a massive truth about the future of all mankind. God does that sometimes. You know, you're praying about some small specific thing, and he comes and opens up your heart to understand more. What he wanted Daniel to see is that all of history is truly his story. There was a plan from the beginning. It's moving along every year. It's moving, and it's an amazing story. It's the story of a romance. It's the story of a God king searching for his bride. Now, that's, that's an amazing story, and it's no wonder as children we love fairy tales so much because they just simply reflect a little taste of what God is doing in all of history, in all of creation. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9. We'll just kind of go through it and let's talk a little bit about this life-changing secret this morning. In chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, 
verse first. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So we find out that it's 538 BC because we can look in history and see when Darius became king. This is his first year. Now we don't know if this prayer time happened before the lion's den or after. I mean, the lion's den's you know, recorded that Wes talked to you about in the chapters before, but we do know that if it's 538 BC, Daniel was taken captive in 605 BC. And so Daniel is doing the math. Daniel's over 80 years old. He was brought as a young teenager. Now he's over 80 years old. And he, he reads this thing in the Bible that the captivity in Babylon is gonna last 70 years. Jeremiah the prophet in his book, we can go back and look, it's the same book we have today. Jeremiah the prophet says, this is what's gonna happen. 70 years, you'll be in captivity. Now, this is about the 67th year of the captivity. Daniel's been there the whole time. And this enormous scriptural insight forms the foundation of his prayer. He's reading scripture and he sees a promise from God, and he grabs hold of it. And that's something I want you to see about prayer. Prayer always begins in the heart of God. Sometimes we just think that prayer is us trying to get God on our agenda. God, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm asking. But real prayer that's gonna be answered always starts in his heart because you see God already has an agenda. You know that, right? And the big question is, are we on his agenda? So that prayer begins in his heart and then it comes to Daniel's heart. And it's so interesting as Daniel's reading the word. Now, remember, he's got a new job. Darius the Mede, Cyrus, uh, who also came before him, they had appointed Daniel to be the head of all of Babylon. He, He is in charge of the biggest city that's ever existed in the history of the world. And yet he still has time to read God's word every day. And I think that's saying something to us in our busy times when we get so busy and so many things hitting us from all sides. It's like, it's still really important to find those promises from God so that we can stand on them. Let me just read you. I don't have, I'm not put it up on the screen, okay? But let me just read you from Jeremiah. This is what Daniel read. He read in Jeremiah 25, This whole land shall be a desolation and a horror, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. And this has just happened as the Medes and the Persians have come in and taken over. Imagine how excited Daniel must be. Okay, this just happened. It's like the 67th year. We've probably got three years left of this 70-year exile. But then as he looks around, it doesn't look like anything's changed at all. I mean, it looks the same as it did five years before, 10 years before, 20 years. Yeah, there's a new king. Yeah, there's a whole new group in charge. But for the Jewish people, everything looks 
pretty much the same. Somebody asked me, why did God choose 70 years? Does he just love seven, you know? Seven is like the perfect number in the Bible, but that's not why God chose it. God doesn't do things randomly like that. He just go, I think maybe mm, 70 years. You see, what had happened was the people of God had disobeyed him. In fact, way back in the books of Moses in Leviticus, it says this, God speaking to them. He says, when you come into the land, which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. The land will have a Sabbath. Six years, you shall sow your fields. Six years, you shall prune your vineyard, gather its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. And then he warned them if, if they didn't obey him, that this, it says the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of your desolation if you don't obey. I'll send you off and we'll have a Sabbath for the land. It's going to happen one way or another. Well, it's been 490 years. Israel has been in the land now. They've never celebrated, they've never taken one Sabbath year in all of that 490 years. Now you can imagine, I mean, imagine your job, okay? Now this was an agriculture, cultural society, but even today, I mean, you just kind of put it in your frame of reference. Every six years, you just need to take a year off and do nothing. No matter where your job is, no matter what's going on. Now, some of you are going like, I, I'm up for that, right? Some of you teachers are going, I could take two years off right now, right? But just imagine if you have a, a small company or something that you're trying to put together and you've got to trust God every seventh year for the whole year. You don't do anything. You don't do any work like that. You spend... He wanted them to spend the time with him. He wanted the land to rest. So 490 years, they didn't do it. Figure that out. You know, one out of seven, 490, 70 years. He said, well, guess what? I asked you to obey me. You didn't obey me. You didn't trust my heart, but I'm gonna let the land rest anyway. So you're gonna go in to captivity. Jeremiah continues on, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, this is the thing about God. See, he, he's, he's going to discipline Israel, but he's so good. His heart is good that he puts his promises in place way back before he even brings the judgment. He knows it's coming. But in Jeremiah 29, he says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, to give you plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places that I've driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. And so what does Daniel do? He reads all this and then he does it, right? 
He says, I want you to pray. I want you to ask. I'm going to hear. And so it sets the scene for why Daniel prayed the way he did. And it helps us to understand the kind of prayer that's going to move heaven and earth. So Daniel goes on. He says in verse 3, and that will be up there. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So Daniel reads, he discovers something incredible. How does he respond? He responds by prayer and fasting. And you know, when we look at it, God said, I am going to have you there for 70 years and then I'm gonna free you. And if you're like me, I would just be going like, all right, three more years. And I would be going out, let's just share the good news. That's not what Daniel did. See, somehow Daniel understood something that we don't understand, that there's a connection, that there's something that God does. There's a purpose that God has that he wants us to be involved in. He gives his promise and then he's asked us to pray it into place. Now, could God just do it all himself? Yes, he could. But what we're gonna find is that there's a reason why he doesn't do that. Somehow Daniel must have known that God wanted his involvement, that God still needed someone to enforce the promise, the decision upon earth. And Daniel obviously believed that the destiny of the nation depended greatly upon his prayer. I mean, he got really serious about it. Regardless of where a nation is at any given moment, prayer can change everything. Did you hear that? Regardless of where a nation is at any given moment, prayer can change everything. If only God is saying about the United States, I know the plans I have for you. Now, sometimes we miss the fact, you know, that God told us. He said, he said to Daniel, as he's reading it in the, the book of Jeremiah, 70 years, captivity. But then he says, seek me, pray to me. I'll listen to you. God announces many times what he's going to do. He gives us a promise in the scripture, 7,000 promises in the Bible, 7,000. But then he wants us to pray and become a part with that. And I think a lot of people get really confused at that point because you read the Bible and God says, here's what I'm gonna do. And you say, great, he's gonna do it. God's gonna do it. There's nothing for me to do. I'm gonna sit back and watch it. This is gonna be great. I'm gonna watch what God does. And then when nothing happens, they think God must be faithless to his promise, but he's not faithless. It's because we didn't respond in our part. And one of the things we need to understand is that prayer is God's way of involving us in this great plan of the universe. So we've gotta kind of get rid of the, the, the notion that Prayer is a way of making God work for us. Prayer is trying to pull God to our agenda. God, you see, my work here is so important and I just need you to bless this work today. No, prayer is God's way of involving us in what he intends to do in his eternal plans. And it's so important that he tells us he will delay doing what he said he would do until we respond in prayer, Daniel understood this or he will pass us by and get somebody else to pray. In the book of James, 
in the New Testament, we read this. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he goes on to say, you ask and you don't receive because you're asking with your own agenda. You're not trying to get on God's agenda. You're trying to get him down into your puny little plans. And he's saying, I've got this huge plan and I want you to be a part of the story. I want you to be a part of the romance. I want you to understand what it's all about. There's a lot of promises in the Bible about the last days. And it's so interesting because what we're gonna see, uh, I wish we had time to really get into it, but there's an amazing prophecy right here in Daniel, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And Daniel is praying about the next three years and God gives him a vision that's out into the future, almost 500 years. And when you add up all the dates, it's the most, it's the craziest thing because the, the dates come to 33 AD and it talks about this Messiah that's to come. And 33 AD, what happened in 33 AD? That's when Jesus was crucified, right? So you see that, you begin to, to, to get that and it's, it's really powerful. God designed the program of prayer as apprenticeship for eternal sovereignty with Christ. Did you know that you're gonna rule and reign with Christ? Did you know that? The Bible is really clear about that. So what God did, I don't know about you, but like with all of this COVID stuff and, you know, I've had all these things with my knee and thank you for praying for that. I'm seeing such an unbelievable recovery right now. It's amazing to see what God's doing and it's just like blown up, you know? So maybe I learned whatever it was he was teaching me, I think. But yeah, some are going, oh, thank God he learned something. Yeah. (laughs) You ever prayed this? I mean, God, couldn't you make life just a little bit easier? You ever prayed that? I, I remember when, when you believe in the sovereignty of God, that he's over everything. I remember when uh, in my early marriage, Laura and I were struggling. Now, I found out, you know, just a couple of years ago, I have severe ADHD. And I think that might've been a big cause of a lot of our struggles. But I was blaming her pretty much for most of it. And um, I remember going to counseling and it was a Christian counselor. And he said, you are really angry at someone. And I said, you better believe it, Laura. (laughs) Right? I know, I'm angry. I'm really angry. He goes, no, I don't think that's who it is. Oh yeah, that's who it is. No, I don't think that's who it is. That's who it is. And finally, he just had to tell me, he said, I think that you believe that God is sovereign and he could have made things a lot easier right now. And I think you're really angry at him. And it just hit me at the core. Because, you know, you're kind of afraid to say, I'm really angry at you, God. (laughs) That seems kind of dangerous. You think lightning and stuff like that, right? So I just, I mean, I remember that really well. And when I look back, I, I look at all that God was teaching Laura and me in those early years of our marriage, I mean, I was, I was not ready, you know, to, to even be an adult, really. And 
And he was changing me and putting some things in. There wouldn't be this church if I hadn't married Laura. There wouldn't be. Now, I'd be off having fun somewhere, probably, you know. But it takes, it, it, it's, it's, this has been an excruciating, amazing, unbelievable marathon for a community of faith to come into, into being. And God gave me that stamina, gave me that through putting this little girl in my life and teaching me so many things through her. But what I want you to see is the world for us is a laboratory in which those who are destined for the throne, you realize you're destined for a throne, right? If you're a believer, Jesus said himself, he said, those who overcome will sit on my throne with me. It's for overcomers. Well, he's teaching us how to overcome. And he has one main tool to use, and that is prayer. That's why John Wesley, he, he said this. He said, God does nothing except in answer to prayer. Now, could God do something? Yeah. Could God do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to? Yeah. But I believe that Wesley is right. God is teaching us He's training us. When you begin to practice that, when you begin to even speak out into the unseen world and, you know, when, when things are going on with your marriage or your family or in your workplace or with your nation and you speak and say, you shall not pass. I'm standing here to enforce this under God. We're beginning to get just an inkling of what God wants us to do. So those trials, they, they're, they're meant to grow us. They're meant to help us to learn to rule and reign. You see, there's this thing going on all the time that we don't understand because God sees all that he's doing. COVID, for example, we see it as a pandemic, it's because we live on a broken planet. Whether you think it escaped from a lab or however it got here, our planet is broken and there are broken people. And we have all kinds of things that come from that because we've fallen on our face in sin so long ago. And it just continues to ball up from there. And we can just say this pandemic, we see this pandemic and it seems like an inordinate amount of believers are passing away in this. But God also has something else going on, you know. He's always got this eternal agenda and he's got us in on-the-job training. I think something big must be starting to happen right now in heaven and he needs some of us there now to begin to rule and reign and to move into the job that he has for us. So he's called some on up already. Now you see it as a great tragedy and God sees it as an amazing thing that he's putting together because he doesn't see it like us. He doesn't look at it like us. So we've got this great eternal purpose. And I just wanna urge you not to lose heart when God just won't make things easy. A lot of times we look around us and we say, you know what, that person has the blessing of God because their life is easy. 
And look at all those material things poured out on them. And it's just easy and comfortable. God, why is my life like this? Now, some of it has to do with your own choices, right? But sometimes God just, I mean, how many of you were in the military? Raise your hand up really high if you're in the military. All right? Yeah, appreciate you. How many of you went to boot camp? How many of you loved boot camp? That was so fun. Okay, I, I get that you made it through boot camp, all right? But this is boot camp, all right? That's what we're in boot camp right now. You thought this was the real thing? I mean, you just got monopoly money right now. Jesus said, you know, who's gonna entrust you with the real riches if you don't do okay with the monopoly money? You say, it's not monopoly money. Yeah, it is. It goes back in the box, right, after you're gone. Somebody else plays with it. I mean, you go in the box too, right? But it's like, it, it, it just passes. I mean, it's practice, okay? But we're gonna have real riches one day. And listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church, God is searching for a bride for his son. That's what history is all about. Did you know that? That's why he created us in his image because we're gonna actually be part of his family. You think that's hard to believe? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Listen to what Paul said. Do you not know that we the believers will judge the world. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? In his amazing book, Destined for the Throne, Paul Bilheimer says this, God never goes over the head of his church to enforce his decisions. He will not take things out of her hands. To do so would be to sabotage his training program. Only by bearing this overwhelming weight of responsibility can she be brought to her full stature as co-sovereign of the universe. Paul Bilheimer, he was an old Methodist pastor and I met him when I was 17. And God had given him so much insight about what he was doing and and how he was using prayer. And I remember he kind of spoke in a monotone voice and most people fell asleep, but I was just on the front row when he's talking, just rapt attention. And Paul Bilheimer spoke a, a prophecy over me at one point. And he said, God is gonna use you in a powerful way to bring the church back to prayer. I haven't seen that yet. And I've been praying a lot about that all down through my life. And God says, that's what's getting ready to happen here. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to join with Laura and with me as, as we pray, says Daniel prayed, he fasted. You know, fasting's not some like crazy thing that you do. It's kind of a normal thing that you do if you really are concerned about something. We speak concern a lot of times, but I don't think we are as concerned as we think we are because when was the last time you fasted except to lose weight, right? But I've noticed that when someone loses a loved one or someone's kids are really struggling, one of the things I have to say, now don't forget to eat. Don't forget 
to eat. Because it's kind of a natural thing when you have huge concern on your heart to forget to eat. That's called fasting. Are you concerned about our nation? Where we're headed? Where we're going? You think the politicians are gonna turn it around? Sorry, they're not. Only the church can move the nation. Now, when Daniel was praying this for his people, it didn't look like anything was happening. And some of you are going like, oh, have you seen? Okay, who are you looking at? Okay, who are you focused on? Listen to what Daniel did in in verse four. He said, I prayed to the Lord, my God. And here's what I said. Oh Lord, you are great and awesome. That word awesome, he literally said, you are great and terrible, but terrible in a good way. Terrible in a scary, really, really, really scary, good way. You are so powerful that it doesn't matter what circumstances look like, that if you speak a promise and we pray it, it'll come into play. It'll happen because you are so awesome. That's how he began. And then listen to the pronouns in the following verses, okay? He says, you are great and awesome. You always fulfill your covenant, keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. And then he says this, listen to the pronouns. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and all the people of the land. Can we say that too? Lord, you are right. As you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. Oh Lord, we and our kings, princes, ancestors are covered with shame. We have sinned against you. Now, I'm looking at Daniel, I'm thinking, you didn't do that. I mean, you've been this really upright man but he's so identified with his people that he used those like we have done this. And church, there's a sense in which if we haven't been fasting and praying and seeking and knocking and doing all the things that God has asked us to do, that we are part of that problem in our nation. And you know, he goes on and talks about the curses and, and, and all of the things that, that have happened. And then verse 19, let me just read that to you. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay, oh, my God, for your people and your city that bear your name. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. You ever say, God, I really hate to admit it, but you know, my prayerlessness, I've kind of had a hand in where our nation is right now. I mean, I've got real active politically. I've done all these things and I, but that hasn't seemed like it's made a difference at all. 
And now I realize what Mark's saying is that, God, you want us to join you in implementing your will. Jesus said it this way. When you pray, pray like this. Come, kingdom of God. It's in the imperative sense. It's in the command form in the Greek. Come, kingdom of God. He's saying, church, you've come into existence for one purpose, to rule and reign with me forever as my bride. All of us, the church universal. And I wanna teach you how to do it. So when you see my will and I show you what my will is, then you pray it, command form, Come, kingdom of God, upon this person, upon this place, upon this city, upon this nation. Be done, will of God. And it seems that if we don't do that, the promises don't come. If we don't do that, people don't turn to God. If we don't, see, I believe that everyone that's ever come to God had someone that did that for them somewhere. That wasn't just like an accident. You're not here this morning or watching online this morning by accident. Someone has prayed for you sometime down through your life. Maybe it was an old Wesleyan minister, Paul Bilhammer. He must've got on his knees for me, but I did not expect. I mean, I thought I was gonna go out at 18 and go, okay, God's in a great move, you know? leading people in prayer. And I gotta tell you, prayer's been one of the great struggles of my life because it seems like so often, like I just need to get with it. I need to go do this. I gotta go. Well, and you know what happens when I do? I go do it. And you know how powerful that is? When I say, God, you do it. Be done, will of God. Come, kingdom of God upon this that's getting ready to happen. Miracles happen. Have you seen many miracles lately? But see, you don't get them by asking God to come to your agenda. What you do is you begin to find the promises of God for your kids, the promises of God for your marriage, the promises of God for your nation, and you begin to stand on them. And we begin to do that together. And as we do that together, there's so much power in it. Last thing, as I was praying, verse 21, Gabriel, the angel whom I'd seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Did you know you're very precious to God? Did you know that? Did you know that when you pray, he doesn't hear you because you're so good? I've been pretty good this week. I think God's gonna hear me. You know, we're so good in America. We like to make deals. God, I'll be in church every week if you'll just do this, right? If you'll just revive my business, I promise. I'll even try to figure, I'll go to four different churches every week, you know? And I'll listen you know, to, to Carrie Shook and Mark Shook every week. Even, I don't want to, but I will. And God's going like, that's not why I hear you. 
You're precious to me. You're really precious to me. I'm pulling you in as my little children. You're going to become the reigning queen of the universe. What does that even mean? Does that mean there's some big foes or something out there? See, even Satan being allowed to be stay loose in our world. What's going on? He's training us. This is training. This is boot camp. As we learn how to overcome, as we learn how to implement his will, then we're gonna know how, this is how you reign with him too, forever. I don't think there's probably more foes out there of God. I mean, he's God, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know what's going on out there. He's the only one that knows. He hadn't told us a lot about that. But one thing I do know is that if he says, hey, Mark Shook, I want you to go and be over this new universe I've created. I want you to rule and reign over it. Then I'm gonna need to know how to do that in connection with him, or I'm gonna get lost out there. And he said, I gotta teach you how to do that. You're not gonna just know how to do it. I've gotta show you how to do it. You gotta do it through prayer. You learn how to do it through prayer. Let me just, as an aside, someone asked this week, I heard this question, how far can we go in sin before God will no longer forgive us? You know what the answer is? Nobody knows because no one's ever gone that far. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you just say, I just feel like I'm a million miles from God. You're not a million miles from God because God is here. In him, we live and move and have our function, the Bible says. He's right here. And he's right here for you. So he came to give Daniel understanding. And what follows is the most important prophecy in all of the Bible. You know, through our praying, God's gonna act in ways far greater than anything we can ask or think or dream. And the fulfillment will go on, perhaps for centuries, Daniel's did, centuries. You know what the prophecy said? It said, there's gonna come the Messiah. He's gonna be rejected by the Jewish people And then there's gonna come one more week as the Messiah is waiting to reign. And it kind of just skips over what we would call like the church age. And it says there's one more seven. It's called seven years of tribulation. There will be a seven years of tribulation. And then the son of God will wrap it all up and rule and reign with his bride forever. Don't you want to be a part of helping him wrap it all up? I mean, you were born in a really weird time. I looked at my grandkids the other day and I was thinking, golly, you were not born in the same United States I was born in. And I was feeling so down for them. And God just spoke in my heart. What are you doing? Who do you think planned for them to be born now? Who, Who do you think planned from eternal past for them to be born for such a time as this. I want you to be part with me 
and bringing in the rule and reign of God in our lives. In Northwest Houston, in all of Houston, in Texas, in the United States, in the world. I don't know all that he wants to do, but I know that he can show us and we can pray. Laura and I are so determined about this that we wanna start this Wednesday night, just whoever wants to come over in the NPR, Laura and I'll head it up, just a time of prayer. It's gonna be real informal. Don't come and expect it's gonna be like, you know, we're rocking and rolling and, and, and praising. We're just gonna, we're just gonna pray. We're just gonna pray together. And I think it's gonna begin to be the beginning of a movement that we can't even comprehend. I think we're gonna see miracles that we've never seen. I think we're gonna see God accomplishing his will in our families like we've never seen. I think we're gonna see God moving through our schools like we've never seen. I think God's gonna move in all of the churches. He's not just interested in community of faith. He loves us. And I think we're pretty special. He thinks you're precious. But he thinks folks at Second Baptist are precious too. He thinks all of the churches around here are part of his bride. And I think God's gonna connect some things and put some things together like we've never seen. And I wanna encourage you, if you're a believer here this morning, to be a part of it with us. So this Wednesday night, seven o'clock, maybe you have to knock some things off your agenda to get here. I'm not gonna tell you not to do that because I think it might be one of the most important things we ever do. God's getting ready to move. You know, we sang that song, we need to move. God's getting ready to move. Are you ready? Let's just close our eyes together for a minute. It's just a little inkling of what God has for us. We'll talk more in these next weeks about warfare and prophecy and some of the things that you see in Daniel, but have you ever thought about that, that God has called you to rule and reign with him forever? That maybe the reason why things are so hard right now is because he's got a special plan for you. He's got a big job for you. You know, it kind of turns everything on its head because the people who have an easy life, maybe it doesn't have that big of a job for them. Let them enjoy it. You get with it. Army Ranger, Green Beret, Navy SEAL. Maybe you're just a Marine, I don't know. But you just, you do what God is calling you to do. Do you feel it deep inside? Do you feel a call? He's gonna be calling some of us out right here, right now to bring to pass the end. Doesn't happen without us. Father, we don't know what to expect in the future, but we know who you are and you are great and you are awesome and you hold the future and you hold us. And we are very, very precious to you. God, I know most of us, we have so much stuff in our life, past trauma and hurts and 
Oh, we just, I mean, we're hardly functioning. And we think, how can we go and, and, and you hear any, it's not because of who we are. It's because of who you are that you hear us. And you're longing to hear us. Do what only you can do. Be all that you want to be for us. In Jesus' name, amen.